over to the Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. I'm Rob Cressy, and I'm super excited to be jamming with you. And joining me to jam about one of the most exciting weeks in sports in recent memory is Steve Merrill, professional handicapper. You can follow him on Twitter, at Steve Merrill. Steve, great to have you back on the show. Hey, Rob, great to be back. And we are recording this at around 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Monday. And we're going to jam a little bit about NBA and NHL. But one of the things that recently just broke is what's going on in the world of baseball with a bunch of people in the Marlins uh, getting COVID and games being postponed and the same being um, said for, I believe it was a Yankees-Phillies game being postponed and sort of how this may or may not affect the other sports. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any initial thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of breaking news, as you said, as we're doing this podcast on Monday, uh, July 27th right now. You know, we're just, what, I guess three, three and a half days into the baseball season, and we already have a problem. And this is something I thought might happen with baseball or any other sport. You know, could happen with basketball, could happen with hockey could happen with the NFL season. I think the likelihood of any of these seasons going the full length is dicey. And um, already the, it looks like the Marlins have an outbreak with like 14 players testing positive from what I've seen. And, um, you know, will it affect the entire league? Probably not, but it could definitely shut a team down. You know, what happens if a team misses five or 10 games out of 60? You know, they can't make those up. There's just not enough time. Um, so do you let them get in the playoffs with a weaker record? Now, what I will say with the Marlins, they're considered one of the bottom feeders. So I think it's going to be very easy for baseball to kind of move on and just shut their season down. Maybe what happens, like you said, if it's the Yankees or the Dodgers, for example, um, then it would get very interesting, but yeah, it ties into what we're talking about with basketball and hockey today, because while I do think those te- those leagues have been a little safer, um, you know, baseball is the most spread out sport. It's probably the best as far as when you're on the field. I mean, basketball, if somebody gets it, they got problems because these guys are on top of each other, sweating on each other, spitting on each other, you know, all 48 minutes. Yeah, and I think the big thing that you're going to notice of a difference is bubble versus non-bubble. In talking about the NBA and NHL, they both created a bubble scenario to where they mitigate the risk. And I'm sort of jaded in how I see MLB for a variety of reasons, uh, how we think Rob Manfred has done as a commissioner and the lack of a bubble and a variety of different things. So while this is giving us uh, a potential script of what is possible, I also like to think that baseball is sort of on its own because they have not been forward thinking. They haven't exactly been transparent to us as the fans through all of this. So uh, I'm not going to take too much out of it because I am an optimist. I love sports. I'm excited for sports betting to get here. So let's look forward and look at the NBA, which restarts on Thursday. We've got a Jazz Pelicans matchup followed by actually a really good one, Clippers versus Lakers. Playoff starts uh, on uh, Saturday for the NHL, but we'll start with the NBA here. We're going to be looking at the first eight games, and I'm curious, what is your mindset around betting these pre-playoff games? I think motivation is going to be the biggest key with any of these games, including the playoff games. Do you know, the NBA playoffs, for the last 25 years, I've been a professional handicapper. I tell my clients, the NBA playoffs have probably been the most consistent moneymaker for me for the past two and a half decades, year after year, because the same angles work, the same zigzag theory type motivational plays. Um, I just love the resets, the quick head-to-heads. You can make adjustments from misleading results. 
some of that's not going to work this year, unfortunately. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be beatable because it will be. And a lot of the angles I use will still work. Um, but the motivation will be different. The home court is gone. Uh, but these play-in rounds, and that's really what I consider the next week or so is almost a play-in round. I think you actually look at the ugly teams a little bit more than the big boys because the big boys are locked in. You know, teams like the Lakers, once again, home court advantage isn't a factor, so the seeding doesn't matter as much. Maybe you do or don't want to play a certain team. Um, but these bubble teams, I think, actually could have some value here over the next week, even though I think once we get into the postseason, they won't be nearly as strong. But traditionally, wouldn't Vegas be thinking the same way, knowing that, all right, this is going to be built into a line. So while we may see the Lakers or Clippers traditionally favored versus a weaker opponent, well, that motivation is going to sort of come in here. So I'm always looking for what is the other edge that might not be already baked into the line. Yeah, and I really think we're going to have to take a day-by-day -day result. You know, one example I'll use just looking ahead of the playoffs, one of the strongest angles in the NBA playoff handicap, and the odds makers know this, they adjust the line five, six points sometimes, is game three home teams that are down 0-2 and they get back home for that game three. Um, you know, there'll be a six-point underdog in game two on the road. There'll be a three-point favorite in game three. That's a nine-point swing in the line. And the reason the odds makers do that is because historically teams down 0-2 do outperform in game three back home. That might not happen this year because, once again, there's no home court. And if a team is down 0-2, they want to get out of the damn bubble. They want to get back to life, and they know their series is over. They could very well tank game three. So I think we have to be very cautious with situations like that. Uh, one angle, Rob, that's always held up, and the odds makers also adjust for it as well, looking ahead of the playoffs once again, is teams down 0-3 normally get swept. This also, by the way, applies to the NHL. It's even stronger than the NHL over the years. Very rarely do teams down 0-3 win game four. We saw that, of course, in baseball for decades until the Red Sox finally broke through in 2004. Um, but it applies to the NBA and the NHL as well. Several reasons. First of all, if you're down 0-3, you're the inferior team. The other reason is because normally the teams just tank it in at that point. They know it's over. That applies to when they're on their home court down 0-3 in game four. Can you imagine that now when you're in a bubble in a quarantine, you're down 0-3, I think we're going to see some blowouts like we've never seen in that situation. The odds makers know that, but maybe they still won't adjust enough. So you're right. I think they do make adjustments. The question is, are they adjusting enough? And I think it's some of these situations, it might be hard for them to do so. Does a lack of fans in the stands hurt the favorites more than it would the underdogs knowing that, for example, the Milwaukee Bucks, one seed in the East, um, and for the entire season, and they should be having a slightly easier road or more comfortable road being at home and now in a neutral site with no fans there. Does that hurt them in some capacity, or are you adjusting that in your thought process? Yeah, it's a really good point, and you could almost make an argument maybe we want to look at road records more than overall records for that reason. A team like the Bucks, 28-3 and three this year at home, um, obviously a very strong home court, but they're still 25-9 and nine on the road. Um, two ways to look at it. You know, maybe some teams benefit from a stronger home court, so you want to look at the road records. But then again, maybe some teams play well on opposing courts and the fans don't bother them as much, and now that's not an issue. The one team, really the two teams that jump out to me with home court advantages in the regular season that don't always translate are the altitude teams, uh, Denver and Utah. Um, so obviously that will not be a factor in Orlando. I'd be cautious with those two teams' overall records, especially their home court records for that reason. Um, they wear teams down a lot of the times in the regular season, especially catching teams on back-to-backs in that altitude in the second half of that second game. Not as much so in the playoffs because, once again, you usually have a day or two off in between and teams adjust. 
But I still think Utah and Denver have the most unique home court advantages in the NBA. So that's something to be careful with now that there is none. Um, as far as the games themselves, one of the reasons basketball has the strongest home court advantage of all sports is because the fans definitely can influence the referees more emotionally. And they don't do it on purpose. It's just subconscious. Um, the crowd noise can dictate more foul calls maybe against the road team. And that really can make a difference. And that's why home court advantage in college basketball can be four or five points on average. You know, in football, it's only three points. So we see it the most in college hoops. We see it the second most in the NBA. And that's not going to be a factor now with these neutral courts. Um, so I think, you know, once again, you could factor that in. I do think the underdogs could have a chance for that reason. But then again, we're going to be laying a shorter number with some favorites. You know, in game one, the Lakers will be three or four point less favorite maybe because they're not at home yet they're going to still be just as motivated and still be that much of a better team than the eight seed, for example. Um, so if anything, we actually might get some value with the favorites in that situation. So that's actually a great segue because what I was curious about, let's get past these original eight games and look towards the playoffs. Do you traditionally uh, air towards favorites versus dogs when it comes to the playoffs? I know every game and matchup is independent of each other, but do you have like a general philosophy in terms of that? Yeah, one thing I'll say about the NBA playoffs of all sports, baseball, basketball, football, college or pro, historically speaking, how everything's different this year, obviously, but historically speaking, over the last 25 years I've done this as a full-time pro, you see less upsets in the NBA playoffs than any other sport or any other playoff system. And there's a couple reasons. First of all, it's a best of seven versus college basketball. That's a one and done. You know, for example, Baltimore County would not have beaten Virginia four out of seven games, but they did find a way to pull that miraculous 16-1 upset in a one-and-done. Um, the NFL playoffs are a one-and-done, so you can get that one-off game where a team like the Ravens last year had 500 and some yards, but they had the three turnovers, you know, and a bad start. The NBA playoffs, the cream rises to the top because out of seven games, the better team normally wins. Now, you might say, well, baseball and hockey have seven-game series. The difference there, though, is they're much lower scoring games. Hockey, five goals. Baseball, eight or nine runs. Basketball, 200 points. So a pitcher or a goaltender can really make a difference in the hockey and baseball series. And you've seen that before. You know, they'll ride a goalie in the NHL. Uh, we'll ride a guy like the Nationals rode those pitchers last year in a best of seven. The NBA, you don't see that as much. So historically speaking, you get the one and two seeds advancing. It only a handful of times have an eight seed one. So I always like to look for really powerhouse teams in game one. Historically speaking, they do well in game one. Um, I usually play the zigzag. I'll take a quality underdog in game two to bounce back. Once again, things are different this year, though, without that home court. But I still think those angles will work in games one and two. I think the better team on a neutral court will win. Could be a little bit of a letdown in game two. And, the, you know, a, a live dog could come back and tie up the series. So I think those angles will still win. But in general, in the NBA playoffs, more than any other sport, um, you want to play the good teams, especially in focused, motivated situations. I love playing Class A teams in game one or awful loss, you know, in games three or four, for example. Let's dig into your futures mindset. So first thing, uh, do you find much value in the futures market for NBA? So whether we're picking an NBA champion or a conference champion, I know oftentimes it can be a crapshoot and it can also be very top-heavy. What are your thoughts on that? In general, big picture, all sports, I'm not big on futures. And the, the main reason is, well, it's a couple reasons. First of all, they really skew your odds normally. You know, most sports books don't let you take the no, will a team win the championship? It's only the yes. So they're offering you a five to one when it should be seven to one maybe. So you're getting a skewed payoff normally in futures. The biggest problem for me with futures though, is that they tie up your money for six or seven months. They hold your money interest-free. 
you know, for example, baseball is the worst. You played in April, you don't get paid till November. Um, this year, that's not the case with baseball. It's only a three or four month season. Um, you know, here in basketball, you only have your money tied up for a couple of weeks now until the playoffs begin. So futures aren't as bad for that reason. But the skew, the odds are still skewed. And like you said, they're very top heavy. I still think in general, you're usually better off doing what I call really just a money line parlay. And you just play the team to win game after game. You know, you start with a $100 unit, for example. You play them on the money line, and then you just keep rolling it over. And normally, historically speaking, almost all the time, the NCAA tournament, even the NBA playoffs, if your team makes that run, you're going to compound that money into a bigger payout. And the other nice thing about that is you can stop at any time and take your winnings halfway through, you know, and you're not locked in or you can start to hedge. Um, if you are going to play futures, I would recommend playing long shots. You don't need to play the Bucks at minus 165 to win the Eastern Conference, for example, you know, or take the Lakers at plus 150 or the Clippers at plus 170. Um, your money's tied up for weeks and they got to win several games, you know, in several rounds. Um, in that case, I'd either play individual games, a money line parlay, or just stay away. But if you like a long shot, I don't particularly like many because, like I mentioned earlier, they don't happen much in the NBA. That might be the one time I take a flyer at 15 to 1 or 20 to 1, for example. And you can always, of course, Rob, hedge out of that as well, you know, if you, if you win a round or two. Knowing that this year is so different, are the favorites from a future standpoint more vulnerable than they normally would? So, like you mentioned, the Bucks. Uh, you're laying minus 165 to take them to win the Eastern Conference. But looking there uh, on DraftKings, the Raptors plus 700, Celtics plus 800, 76ers plus 800. I think one unique variable this year is the ability for COVID to unfortunately take out a big-time player, let's call it LeBron James or Giannis, who is not injury-prone but has no control over this. So, for example, if Giannis – were to leave because of COVID, all of a sudden the East becomes wide open and that minus 165 does not look that much more attractive. So could this be the year to say, listen, fade the favorites. And if you do want to have a few rolls of the dice, maybe this is an opportunity? Oh, no question about it. I mean, that's an excellent point. You first of all, have more uncertainty than ever. We've just seen that today as we're doing this podcast live. You know, we see that today with baseball, and they're only three days into the season. We already see, you know, multiple players on some teams test positive. We don't even need that in basketball. Like you said, all it takes is one. I mean, LeBron James is, you know, a quarter to a half of that team. Giannis is probably half that team, and it's one guy. There's no question that can happen. So, once again, do I want to tie up minus 165 for several weeks or a month or so just to get less than an even money payout? when I don't want anything to do with that bet if he gets tested and he's out because they're not even one, a playoff caliber team maybe at that point. So it's an excellent point, and it goes back to, once again, exactly why I would only play long shots. You know, I'm willing to take the shot at 15 or 20 to 1 because the risk-reward is good there. I can hedge out. And there again, you know, if you win a round or two and your star player gets sick, you've already made a profit, you can hedge out. Get out of there. And um, that's another reason why if you're going to play the favorites, you have to do the money line parlays. But even that is risky because if it happens early and you're only a few games in, you're not going to make your money back. Um, I really think you can't play these favorites for that reason, as you mentioned. So can you give us one team in the East and one team in the West non-favored that if we're like, all right, we're going to add a little bit of variability here that we should at least look out for as the alternative to the favorites? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting – the Magic and the Wizards aren't going to make much noise, I don't think. But one of them, you know, probably gets in the playoffs, obviously. And it's, you know, the play-in situation. I do think those teams will be motivated here in the next week or so. They don't have their best play. Washington's a little shorthanded. You look at Orlando, 
in their home city, that's the one that's the real X factor to me. Is that a benefit or is it a negative? I don't know. You can make an argument both ways, but I'm seeing them both around 250 to one right now to win the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're going to, but some crazy stuff could happen because there is a lot of uncertainty. You know, Orlando's the team that's interesting to me just at the fact that games are being played in Orlando. You're getting them at 250 to one. Could they make enough of a run to maybe get a week or two in that you could hedge out at that point with a huge, you know, hedge ability? Um, by the way, one team, not necessarily a play on, a play against for me would be the Indiana Pacers. Um, I think, as I said at the top, motivation is so important. You know, I've already seen some turmoil there over the last few weeks. Iraq was not wanting to play. You know, I just – I think when, when – you know, when things get tough for some of these teams and they're down 0-2, for example, in the playoffs, or even before that, when it looks like they don't have much of a season left, they're going to toss the towel like we've never seen before. And I don't blame them. I mean, they're already having a tough time in the bubble. These guys don't fit in these beds. They're made for six-footers, not seven-footers, you know. They showed roaches the first day they're in these hotels. And these guys don't want to be there. And if they don't have any motivation to play at that point, very careful. So, for me, I think the Pacers are the one team that jumps out to me as maybe a stay away, at least initially. All right, one last thought on the NBA. I saw a prop bet on DraftKings for the rookie of the year. It had John Morant minus 10,000, Zion plus 1,400. And I'm curious on your mindset about this. And I actually have a John Morant rookie of the year ticket, which I think is pay, was paying seven or eight to one at the time. But seeing this, Zion has only played 19 games. John Morant played 59 games. This seems like this is an absolute no-brainer. But from your professional standpoint, what are your thoughts on seeing that prop bet? And, Rob, if I'm not mistaken, these games are not supposed to count into the, the postseason, correct? I mean, into the, uh, the award, the player award. I believe right? so, correct. The question, the question for me on that, though, this is what you need to dig into, is have they all voted yet? Because, you know, it's just like in a courtroom when the uh, prosecutor will say something nasty about the defendant and then they'll say, obstruct that from the record, but the jury's already heard it. <laughs> you know, it's like they still consider it. That's what would concern me here is if they're not supposed to consider any of these games going forward, but they haven't voted yet, and Zion goes out there and puts up 50 back-to-back -back games and they start making a run, how, are that, how is that not going to be considered into the mindset of the voters? So I think the key is have they voted yet? Because from what I've heard, these games are not supposed to factor in because there's a lot of talk about LeBron won't win the MVP for that reason. Um, so, yeah, Morant should be a lock, but I don't know. It concerns me. And you've already got the ticket. I would definitely hold it. I wouldn't hedge. But um, Of course. I don't think I recommend anybody lay one to 100 right now on a new one, though, obviously. But, yeah, I would find out if when the votes happen. I think that's the key. Gotcha. So let's move over to the NHL side of things where games are starting this weekend. I am so incredibly excited as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Uh, I live and die for the playoffs. And certainly with the layoff we've had in sports, boom, jump us right into the NHL playoffs. And I'm curious, once again, uh, what is your mindset on the NHL playoffs right now? I think it's very similar to the NBA. You know, I don't do as much day-to-day -day with the NHL, but I do follow it from a big picture. I pick my spots occasionally. I'll have some plays, you know, and even look at futures. Um, for me, it's very similar to the NBA, different than baseball. You brought up an excellent point at the top of the show about baseball being different, although I think baseball is the safest sport of the three when you really think about it because, you know, they're separated. They're not bumping into each other. I do feel like hockey and basketball have done a better job quarantining and keeping everything intact. Of course, the big difference with basketball is the neutral site for everything. Um, I don't know why baseball didn't do that, by the way, just a little quick side. And I think that's why they're going to have some problems with all this travel. It just isn't necessary without fans. Hockey's kind of in between the two sports. So it could be a little different for that reason. Um, I think they'll be okay, though. I, th I think, you know, 
It's a bigger squad like baseball. There again, the NBA is less players. They're quarantined better. The problem with base, uh, basketball, though, as you mentioned, is if one guy like LeBron gets it, you're done um, as far as a team. Hockey can withstand that a little bit better, although they do have stars, obviously. Um, same mindset, though, especially with the playoffs. When teams get down 0-2, 0-3, buyer beware. Um, you know, historically speaking, 0-3s get swept. I can't imagine that's not going to be even more so this year. And just in like basketball and hockey, teams down 0-2 that return home usually get a bump in game three. Um, we'll see if that's the case without fans and stuff. You know, maybe it won't be as strong. Um, the only edge you really get, by the way, with home ice advantage, in baseball, not having fans makes no difference. The only edge is batting in the bottom of the ninth. And it's a huge edge now, by the way, with the new um, extra inning rules. If you get to the bottom of the 10th with a guy on second and the team hadn't scored, you can play small ball and basically try to win the game. So I think Home teams have actually more of an edge than ever in baseball right now, even though there's no fans. Hockey, there's really – I don't think the crowd dictates the officials that much um, during games, but having that last line change is always key. So, once again, the home team gets an edge really for that reason only. Um, so, I think of the three sports we talked about today, no fans, no home court advantage definitely affects the NBA the most. I think from a handicapping perspective, I wouldn't worry about it as much with hockey or even baseball. Here's one thing that really stands out to me about the NHL playoffs this year. Traditionally, uh, the team who wins, it's a game of attrition from an injury standpoint. It's a long season. It's a very physical season. At the end, you hear about the players playing with broken jaws and torn ACLs. But guess what? All of a sudden, now we've had such a layoff where that's going to be collapsed right there. So does that add a little bit more value to the teams that would be seen as a little bit more pristine or better than others? Yeah, the one thing that's interesting to me is Tampa Bay. You know, I grew up as a Washington Capitals fan on the East Coast. So I kind of disowned them a couple decades ago. I gave up on that. And then I got into it when they won a couple years ago and followed them again. Um, they, of course, beat Tampa in Game 7 of that series a couple years ago. Tampa's been the big – Tampa's really been the modern Washington Capitals the last few years. You know, they've been as good as anyone. They kind of come up short in the postseason. You look at the odds again, they're the co-favorite right now in a lot of books um, in the Eastern Conference with Boston at 3-1. to one. You just look at the, you know, the difference between the Bruins and the Lightning over the years as far as pedigree. Although you wonder if all this shakeup can maybe get Tampa on, you know, on, on tilt finally where they can make a run – with the talent they have. And you bring up an excellent point about being worn down. Basketball is a very physical sport, but hockey's even more physical. And those guys really do hit a wall. And um, I just feel like the better teams might have more of an edge this year because they are fresher. And that makes Tampa look maybe a little more appealing than they have in years past when they just kind of find a way not to play up to their potential. With NHL, how much do you look into goaltending and championship pedigree? So uh, good goaltending, as we've seen. I mean, I remember back in the day when Yaroslav Halak was just straight fire mowing through the playoffs. I believe that's from Montreal. And you can just see where a goalie can take a team. And then on the flip side, you take a team like my Pittsburgh Penguins or even the Chicago Blackhawks, albeit they are – um, way back there in terms of underdog, but there's always something about championship pedigree, teams who know how to win. And if we're looking at a season in which there's a lot of variables, give me something that I know a team has learned how to win before. No question about it. You know, the Capitals are a great example. I lived that since the 80s and the 90s. You know, I watched that and they were never the best team. They're always a three or four seed. They always got bumped by the better teams, like the Penguins, of course. And, um, when they were finally, you know, a Calder Cup winner in the mid to late 2000s there in 2010 range, they still found a way to come up short. And you always write it off as after a year or two as well, you know, that's just maybe random luck. But then you start wondering, is there something to it? 
And I'll bring up another local team for me. The Washington Nationals had that same stigma. They were the capitals of baseball. And then they found a way to get the monkey off their back as well last year. Um, so you just have to wonder. I bring up Tampa once again. If I'll call it the great reset that we're having right now in sports. If that's not enough to shake things up for these teams that really don't have that championship, you know, stigma to them. Because if you look at it on the surface, the Bruins against the Lightning, both at three to one, you just know the Bruins know how to get it done, even though it's different players. Now it's not quite the same team that's won it in recent years. Um, but goaltending is a key. You know, I brought that up earlier about we see less upsets in the NBA playoffs and other sports, pitching in baseball and goaltending in the NHL. And it's almost impossible to find a recent Stanley Cup run in which the goaltenders weren't red hot. So if you can predict what goaltender is going to be strong, um, that's the way to go. But, hey, I'll bring up your analogy once again about LeBron or somebody getting COVID. What happens if your star goaltender gets it? All bets are off again. So that is one of the problems with hockey, although it's more of a team sport than basketball. you got more players in the lineup. Um, it's very dependent on goaltending as much as any superstar in the NBA. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. I think, once again, that's why some un- long shots in the futures and even underdogs in general probably have value for that reason. And that could also be a reason to look for teams who have goalie depth. Because when I look at things formulaically, um, Tampa, speaking of, when uh, Ben Bishop got injured and who comes in? Vasilevsky comes in. You're like, whoa, this guy is as good or better. The Penguins had Flurry and Matt Murray. So you've got two people, and the Penguins have that again this year. So maybe as a way of saying, all right, let's see as something that might not be the number one thing you're looking at, but see who has a little bit of goalie depth in case something happens because they can keep the party going. Exactly right. And look at the last two years, the Capitals and the Blues. Those weren't the dominant goaltenders of the regular season. You know, so just because we say you have to have a hot goalie and a superstar goalie, it doesn't mean it's like the number one or two goalies from the regular season. It seems to me almost like it's a middle-tier guy that gets hot every year. And you've even seen guys over the last 10, 20 years, we've seen guys, like you said, come in as the second goalie, and they'll just ride him because he gets red hot. So I think it's an excellent point, and I do like if you could possibly find teams that have that second goalie just as a safety net, no pun intended, because, yeah, if, you're, if your star goalie gets COVID, and it's like, it could happen. You know, I mean, it's all bets are off once again. It just goes back to the big theme for all these sports we're talking about today is I don't want my money tied up on a ticket that takes two months to cash, you know, where one single day, one single COVID positive test could ruin it. Um, and that's something we've never even had to fathom before in sports. You know, I guess you could always say if an injury occurs, I think it's much more likely somebody tests positive than they get hurt because it's very unlikely someone gets hurt in general. Um, and that's why unless you're taking a long shot, a big number on that risk reward for a futures play, I would either money line parlay or I'd take the individual game by game stuff. And that's just from an injury from a COVID perspective. There's still a lot of uncertainty from a handicapping perspective on the motivation, how this stuff's going to play out. I like to see it on the ice. I like to see it on the court first before putting real money behind it. So for me, I'm personally looking at game by game situations more than the overall future looks in all these sports. Do you look at the series prices as a potential option? And especially if, let's say, the favorite goes down 0-1, where there's an opportunity to get a little bit better odds. Does that come into your mindset at all? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Because one thing we see with the modern sports books, and we couldn't have this maybe 20 years ago when I started 25 years ago, is that we get these adjusted you know, prices for the series. And you used to see them floating around 10 or 15 years ago. Now they're very common. Almost everybody posts them. And it is a great handicapping tool. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, you can hedge out. It makes hedging out a lot easier. If you take a series price at the beginning, you get up one or two games to none, you're going to get a nice hedge on that. And you can basically lock up a profit, even keep some of it running with the profit locked up. That's not a bad move, especially if you feel like the series is maybe closer than it appears and you don't want to have as much on that anymore. 
Same thing with these future odds. That's why it's nice to take a long shot because if you're taking big money on the future odds, you could start to hedge out it. And one of the ways to do that is with the adjusted series price, you know, within an individual series. Um, I like to once again look at the adjusted series prices if I think there's been a misleading result in game one or two and a team's maybe still better, get there down. Um, I mentioned earlier I like good teams in game one. I sometimes will play that bounce back angle in game two. If that's the case, if you like an underdog in a series, you might want to wait until game two to get a better plus money price on the series if you think they're going to lose game one but still has a chance to win. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility there. And once again, your money's not tied up as long. It's only a week or so. And you can hedge in and hedge out very quickly. So um, to use a financial markets analogy, that's a lot more liquid market, a lot more flexible than being tied up for the entire playoffs with one like long future bet. So you've mentioned the hedging a few times. And I know a lot of people ask on this. And from what I'm reading, you like locking in profit. There's almost an element of an unemotional attachment at times where you can say, listen, we have a guaranteed victory, as opposed to a lot of times the Joe public, we like to be able to boast that we've got a certain ticket and things can come and go as we've seen in the world of sports. But can you give us sort of just a quick um, summary of your mindset on hedging and when you're considering it because I really like the way that you're thinking about it because at the end of the day, I'm here to make a profit and that doesn't mean I have to win the entire series. I just want to look at the end and be like, wow, we are positive for that series. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of times in general, you probably should not hedge. And I've told people that years over years, this year could be a little different because once again, you're always one COVID test away the next day from your star goaltender or your star basketball player not being in the lineup anymore. So for that reason, I'd be a little more risk adverse this year and I probably would hedge a little sooner than I would recommend. But my general philosophy on hedging is you should only do it if the new bet has an edge because you're giving up an edge otherwise. Um, for example, you know, say that you play a team at, say you play them at even money to win the series, the favorites minus 120 and you win games one and two. And now the adjusted price is your even money ticket is now minus 250 because they're up two nothing. You obviously could hedge a little out and still have some of it running, but you've, you're holding a ticket at even money that really is worth minus 250 now. That's a fantastic bet. I would make that bet every day I could. So why would you want to hedge that out? Now, the reason would be because you still have maybe about a 25% chance of losing that play. So maybe you take 25% off, you lock up your initial investment, and you let it ride. And although mathematically you're better off not doing that and just letting it run because you'd be better off at even money than hedging out a little, if you for some reason think that's an overprice, like if you think the true odds should be minus 200 now and not minus 250, then play the other underdog. But if you think it should be minus 350 instead of minus 250, then you're making a bad bet. So that's why hedging a lot of times is really if you think there's value of the other bet because it's a new bet. That other bet's already been made. You have a huge edge with it. But there's two other aspects. One I've mentioned is with the COVID situation here, you could easily be at a disadvantage the next day if these guys test positive. So maybe take a little off for that reason. But the other reason, too, is your, your emotional well-being, your long-term emotional outlook. If you were to lose that and you didn't hedge any, you'd be kicking yourself, you go on tilt, and a lot of bettors have a tough time when that happens. So always maybe take your enough off to cover your initial investment and let the winnings run. Play with the house money. Um, hopefully that makes sense. There's a lot of aspects there when you're looking to hedge, but that's kind of how I approach it. But the big picture, normally you should not hedge much because you usually have a huge mathematical edge with that new adjusted number. Steve, really enjoy your mindset and the process of the way you think. You certainly have helped me uh, become smarter at sports betting and hopefully the people who are listening as well. Where can everybody connect with you? Yeah, my direct website is prosportsinfo.com, prosportsinfo.com. Then, of course, I'm on Covers Experts as well, coversexperts.com. 
And if they have any questions, they can follow me on Twitter. As you mentioned, Rob, Steve Merrill. It's two R's, one L, at Steve Merrill, M-E-R-R-I-L. Uh, feel free to direct message me, mention me wherever. I'll get right back to you. My email address also, steve at prosportsinfo.com. Feel free to drop me a note. Any handicapping questions, I'll be glad to help out. Steve at prosportsinfo.com, my direct email address. And I want to hear from you. What NBA or NHL action are you going to have this week? You can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Cressy. Make sure to use hashtag Sharp 600 and be part of our community. And also make sure to tag at covers. And I want to give a big shout out to everyone who listens to the podcast and has given us a rating and review on iTunes. It means the world to us because it helps other people discover the show and come into our community. If you go on there and give us a rating and review, we will show you some love and give you a shout out on the next show. And remember, if you want to be a sharp, don't be a square with your bankroll. Be disciplined with your money management.